Hey y'all, it's Kiara, and I got a confession. I am a recovering perfectionist. Phew, I know, I know. Shocking, right? But perfectionism is a part of mental health and wellness that is glossed over, normalized, and even praised despite the many people who are affected by it every day. Today, my special guest Tamika and I will dive into this taboo topic, sharing our stories of perfectionism and our decision to embrace what makes us human, our flaws. This week's episode is sponsored by DD's Hair Care. DD created an organic hair oil that protects, nourishes, and grows your hair. Can we say inches? <laughs> I personally use this oil, and in one month of consistent use, I have even noticed a change in the length and shine of my hair. Didi's goal is to help women across the world fall in love with their natural hair, and after one short year, she is doing just that. Get ready to become your own hashtag hair goals and purchase your first bottle of Didi's hair growth oil by using the promo code FRS20 on DDsGrowthOil.com. Again, you can buy your own bottle of DD's growth oil by using the promo code FRS20 on DEDESGrowthOil.com. Get you a bottle today and start loving your healthy hair. Let's get into this week's episode with Tamika. So welcome, Tamika. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, and Tamika lives in Canada. What part of Canada do you live in? So I live in Calgary, Alberta. Yeah, for us American folk, that's one of the parts of Canada that we really don't know about. <laughs> we only hear about like Toronto, Toronto. and Montreal and, and like you know, Niagara Falls. Exactly. So when I heard you were from that part of Canada, I was like, well, what is happening over there? So how has it been for you um, during this COVID-19? So far, um, it's been pretty all right with Mm -hmm. us. Like we're in lockdown, just like everybody else. And really the only people that are working right now are the essential workers. Mm. Um, but I think our system is a little bit different just in terms of like our government. So we are receiving more benefits during this time, especially for those people that are either unemployed, even for students. So it's a good thing to kind of have a government like ours that is able to help us in this time, but it's still a challenging time, just like it is for everyone else. Yeah, that's one thing I know for us over here, um, we got like the normal stimulus check, um, but it was like a one-time thing where I understand you guys are getting paid like every month or twice a month or something like that. Yeah, so ours is called the Canadian Emergency Response Benefit, and pretty Mm -hmm. much we initially get $2,000, and then bi-weekly we are supposed to be getting $1,000 each, so pretty much anyone can apply. Yeah, right. As long as you're, <laughs> as long as you're working or you are a student or you've had some type of part-time experience, you can mm-hmm. qualify. And then for those who didn't have like meet the requirements, there's other grants and things that like the government is trying to help us with. Wow, yeah, that sounds like a pretty helpful government. 
Um, sorry to say we don't have that same uh, opportunity over here. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> right. But it, it's really, I don't know, I, I get really excited when I get to meet people from different parts of the world because you know, the news um, and Instagram will make you feel like, or at least make me feel like things are so different. Um, but being able to really talk to you the other day, I realized that we have a lot of similarities. And I just wonder how many people, you know, if they can jump outside of their comfort zone to meet new people, um, how many people could relate to that as well, saying that, yeah, I, you know, I know we don't live in the same place, you know, we don't look the same, but we have a lot of similars and we've gone through some similar experiences. So thanks for taking a chance and meeting somebody new and jumping on the podcast. I really appreciate that. Well, thanks. Well, I was also inspired when I saw your podcast and I saw your message and I read a little bit about you and things that you were starting. So I thank you as well. Yeah, you're welcome, girl. <laughs> so one of the things that I really connected with you on um, was a, a few stories that you told me surrounding your childhood. And so we talked a lot about um, our childhood experiences. And one of those things that we related mostly um, with is the perfectionism piece, which I like to say that I'm like a recovering perfectionist, <laughs> but sometimes I do, you know, relapse into that sort of thinking. So I want you to, you know, to talk about that a little bit and um, what you what you think of when you think of the word perfectionism. So a little bit of a background. Um, I come from a very like sort of strict and traditional family. My mm -hmm. background is Jamaican. So like I was the first child out of like immigrant parents and parents that were just trying to figure out how to make life work in Canada while adjusting to like the norms of traditions of their heritage and their culture. So for me, also being the first child, it's it was a lot because I felt like um, not only just being the first child in terms of perfectionism, but being compared to. So growing up, mm. my experience was, I was like seen as the standard, which would be like a golden child. Like yeah. um, for my cousins, a lot of the times they would be compared to me. And it wasn't a great feeling because um, it also created like a divide in the relationship, but it led me down a path of, because, a standard like that was placed early in my childhood I just became a perfectionist in the sense of everything had to go my way everything had to be perfect the first time um I couldn't fail and when I did mm. it was very hard for me to accept that so um I always made sure that like I was doing the right thing or I was trying to be the best that I could be to their standards and as I got older I'm 24 now, but as I got older, I started to realize, okay, like, when is this kind of pattern or cycle going to stop? When am I going to stop aiming for the per perfection of what other people think of me and when I can aim for my own? So slowly, I'm learning things don't have to be perfect the first time. And it's been an adjustment because mm -hmm. I feel like, especially with goals, like putting yourself out there, things that you want to do. For me, it's like, oh, if it's not perfect, then I'm not going to do it because it's not the way that I want it to be. Yeah. But I'm learning now that like sometimes it doesn't have to be perfect. If you just start where you are, 
and you can look back, there'll be so much growth and things that you can learn. Nobody's perfect at the end of the day. So to hold myself to some crazy expectation or standard, it doesn't make any sense in the long run. It doesn't do any good for me. Right. And I I love how you said that nobody's perfect. And as a recovering perfectionist, that's something that is so hard to grasp, right? Because even though we don't take on, even though we don't open our mouths and say like, I'm perfect on the inside, those unrealistic standards are shouting to us saying that, but you are though, you know, but you need to be though. And so I know that when I first started going to therapy, that was one of the first things that my therapist pointed out to me was like, girl, um, you know that you're not perfect, right? Like that's something that you understand. And I honestly had to say like, no, I, I really can't grasp that concept that I'm not because that's what I was striving for. Even though I was failing at it miserably, um, it was something that I was striving for. Some of the traits that you mentioned uh, for perfectionism are the fear of failure and procrastination, uh, being focused on results and also being highly critical of yourself. And then also those unrealistic standards. So what was your breaking point where you knew that this is too much? I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I think because, um, like in my childhood being Mm -hmm. like, kind of having that expectation of being the the kid in the family that always did everything right, that never did anything wrong. It Mm -hmm. kind of prevented me from making mistakes. And um, I was always seen as like an old soul or someone who was really poor for my age compared to the people around me. So a lot of times in high school when like my friends were doing dumb stuff and I was like, oh, like, why are you doing that? That doesn't make any sense. And like passing (laughs) judgment and stuff. I found myself like in, in university kind of doing similar things and I I just realized in that moment like oh wow like it's like humble pie like I have to eat my own words I said I would mm-hmm. never do this but I ended up doing that and it just made me realize like I'm not perfect I'm not going to be perfect I can try to just stri- strive for the best version of myself but at the end of the day I just have to take things one step at a time and it was not an easy process it was very hard and I learned that through heartbreak actually um Mm. going through a really like devastating time where like I had a whole idea of like the first guy I ever met that I like be in love with him and you get married and you have kids and it didn't work out that way and it caused like a lot of triggers to go out for me and then like that's when I actually started therapy Mm-hmm. And in the first session, I just started crying five minutes in after the therapist was like, why don't are you we here? all girl? <laughs> yeah. Don't we all start off with tears on, in that first session? It's just like, okay, let, let's just get right into it. <laughs> <laughs> but I relate to you with that as well, because growing up, it was almost, it wasn't really said, but I was getting compared to my cousins all the time where even my cousins felt like um, I was untouchable in that way. And then they saw me not as their um, peer, but as someone that was superior to them. And that put like a chip on my shoulder because I felt like I couldn't just 
talk to them normally I felt like mm-hmm. I always had to be able to say the right thing or you know or, or be doing the right thing and it really drove a wedge between uh, the cousins that were closer in my age and that translated into going to high school I was super judgmental I mean we're all teenagers and my you know some of my friends were a little bit more out there um, than I was and it was just like hardcore judgments like why are you doing that you know or or, you know adding the bible to it and adding Mm -hmm. um, my mom's thoughts to it and just you know all bundled up into one where you know, I was 14, but I sounded like I was 57. Wow. And <laughs> I was just like super, super prude and judgmental. And that cost me some friendships along the way. And then, like you said, to turn around and sort of go through that stage of, I like to call it like rebellion. Um, and then look at myself in the mirror and say, how are you different from the people that you judged? Um, that was an eye opener for me as well. I didn't want to except that I was the same because I was I always thought that you know I was of a different standard um and that was like mind-blowing to me where I had to go back and eat my words like you said and really apologize to my friends for those times where I did judge them um and that wasn't always easy because some of my friends held some grudges against me because of the things that I you know, had told them before, especially the things that I thought that they weren't doing right. Um, And so it took me a while. It took us a while to grow from those experiences. But man, when I sit and think of how how that started, um, it definitely started with the relationship that I have with my mom and wanting to please her. I think that a lot of times people forget that it's not just perfectionism doesn't come because you just woke up one day and decided that you didn't want to make any mistakes and you were scared to make any, but it comes from a long line of being judged, you know, or criticized for the little things and not wanting to make those same mistakes again, whether to make someone proud, you know, whether to be that example, it can be very exhausting. So Mm -hmm. I had to really come to that understanding as well. What about for you? I would say it's the same thing, like, Mm -hmm. growing up, just being the first child, having so many rules and things that, like, my mom and my parents definitely instilled in me, like, Tanika, when you grow up, I don't want you to be like this, or when you grow up, I don't want Mm -hmm. you to be like that, so for me, it was kind of like, oh, like, I was, just like you said, like, I was scared to make mistakes, I didn't want anyone to think negatively of me and then like at times it did come from like a place where I was people pleasing I wanted to make Mm, them happy I wanted to make them proud but um yeah like it was not the best experience because when you're younger and like that is something that's reinforced like oh yeah it's a good thing that you want to make your parents happy it is it really is but when it's reinforced in a way where it's like you're held to a certain standard and that becomes expectation it becomes very hard to stray away from that because you've kind of been trained in that way to keep going um regardless if that's healthy i feel like that prevented me from making the mistakes i needed to make at those stages in my life and able to to grow because i wasn't really placed in like a child's place i was seen as like a little mini adult so Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i could just do no wrong you know wasn't it Mm -hmm. wasn't that great it took a long time for me to realize that hey like this is not really going to get you anywhere it's not going to get you 
um, ahead in life. It doesn't make you better than anybody else. Not that I thought I was better than anyone else. Right. But like the standard that was just so high. It's just mm-hmm. always striving for per- perfectionism. So then the people around you start to be like, oh, like you held yourself so high to the standard that it's like, why am I even friends with you? Um, what is mm. beneficial of this relationship if you think you're above me? But it wasn't right. my intention for like um, things to be to be like that it was just like I've been trained like to do things right the first time to be the first perfect. time around yeah yeah to strive for your goals and like if you make a mistake my my family would be like yeah it's okay pick yourself up but you know the second time should be the last time right or there is no, no it, second time yeah <laughs> it's <better get> it right. <laughs> exactly yeah that makes me think of uh, a lot of times um in a few of my other episodes I've talked about how I wore a mask and when I was I went through this um counseling training for a substance abuse counselor um that mask was exposed and I didn't know how to take that so did you feel when do you one do you feel like you wore a mask like this Tamika mask that sort of um portrayed herself to be everything all the dreams and things that your parents uh imagine you or willed you to be do you feel like you had a mask like that to a certain extent yes Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. like I just wanted to make them happy and I wanted to make them proud but like as um like in our culture it's a thing where like for example you don't speak unless you're spoken to kind of thing you're Mm -hmm. supposed to stay in a, a child's place but at the same time when you're treating that child like an adult um what do you expect the results to be so for me it was like I did have to kind of like mask some of like those inner intentions that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But as I got older, I feel like as I got older and I became more expressive, like with what I was going through or like my emotions and things, because I always felt like, okay, me being a perfectionist also came with the side of like not expressing how I truly felt because I didn't want to hurt anyone else's feelings. Right. So yeah. I like carried the burden of like everything that I had. I just bottled it up put it away and just continue to do what everyone else expected of me. So girl. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, girl. Keep going. (laughs) That that's me. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Yeah. It did feel like a mask for a long time until like, um, I didn't really have many like bad things that happened to me as a child, like in terms of like behavior, like everyone would say that I was a good kid. Like mm-hmm. they, I, I came over and they want me to come over again. Like I was always polite, but those are kind of like home training things that you learn. Like it, that's how it's supposed to be. But um, the mask kind of fell off as I got older. I was like, became a little bit rebellious, you know, I was like, mm. what? yeah, in university, I was like, I want to do what I want to do. I want to experience what I want to experience. And I don't really care what anyone has to say. I did care, but like deep down, I didn't. So I was moving about it in just a different kind of way where one thing would definitely be presented in terms of like things I still wanted to accomplish, mm-hmm. but maybe I just want to tell them my opinions on things. But I found that as I got older and I became more expressive, then mm-hmm. they started to see like a little shift. It wasn't like a huge mask, like, oh my God, we don't know who you are. It was yeah. kind of like, thank you for showing up as you are 
and your opinions are still valid. We still appreciate you. We still care for you. But it's okay to have your own opinions, your own thoughts. You don't have to live by anyone's rules. And that's, it was more reaffirming as I got older to hear that from my mom. Because mm -hmm. I feel like, like I said, my upbringing was just so strict. So it was like, I couldn't really navigate around that. I just felt like I had to strive so, so hard for excellence every single time. But then when I started having these real conversations and I started mm -hmm. expressing how I felt, they were like, you know what? There's no point in doing something that you don't want to do. There's no point in like hiding what you actually feel. And it's actually not healthy. Wow. That's really awesome. That's good on your parents for listening and understanding you in that change. I think that for me, I was scared that if I did um, show my true self that I wouldn't be accepted. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I thought that I had to keep this, keep up appearances. So it was almost like I had two different um, personalities where when I was around my friends and my, you know, and my, um, well, really just my friends, if I was around mm -hmm. them, you know, I would be this one way. And then when I, you know, called my mom or was around my family, I was another way. And I hated that because okay. if you got my friends and my family in the same room, that was like, um, you know, I was on the brink of a heart attack. Like, how, <laughs> how do I act? Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it was a lot of pressure that I obviously placed on myself. Um, to keep up this same uh, masked appearance that I had. And so when I got called out for that, because I had been maneuvering that way for years, not really thinking anything of it. Um, but when I got called out for it, it was like a stab to the chest because wow. I didn't realize that other people saw me for what, for what I was, exactly. Yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh, what? <laughs> you, you noticed? And so that was hard for me to... Um, to work through but I think that's why therapy is so important so when I spoke with you the other day you talked about um how you want to become a psychologist as a representation for people that look like you and so talk about how that representation is so important especially in therapy and mental health well I definitely feel like in terms of just blackness um mm -hmm. the world is not always accepting and history shows that whether it's through the media and not having enough representation in that way or it's the little things such as featureism colorism within our mm -hmm. own communities that kind of have been instilled in us regardless if you're you know from the states and um like have been like a descendant of slavery whether you're from the caribbean whether you're from africa even though we have our own differences it still affects us in the same way. And it's such a taboo for our people to actually be like, you know what, um, something's going on. I have anxiety, I have depression, I need to talk to someone. A lot of the times people don't realize like those signs of things that they're going through, the anxiousness, maybe because it's normalized, like maybe in your household mm. it's chaotic, it's dysfunctional and that's just normal for you. So when you get out in the world and you realize like, hey, like I have stuff to work through, whether it's from your childhood or if it's from different experiences, a lot of times people in our community, they either don't address it, they either mm. try to pray it away, or they just accept it as it's never going to change or I can't do anything about it. And for me, I knew that like growing up, something that I can say is that my mom always made sure that there was people like around me that looked like me 
because right now, currently, I do live in Calgary, Alberta, which mm -hmm. is not really diverse in terms of, um, of course, people of color. But in Toronto, it was a very diverse um, experience for me. We had Black people, we had Asians, we had Africans, Caribbeans, we have Indian people, we have people from everywhere. And it's kind of like we embrace each other's cultures, like, mm. um, you know, we embrace each other's cultures, like in in Toronto, we have Carabana, so that's when we go and play mask and we dress up and we're so inviting for other people to come in and experience our culture with us. So just do like my own experiences that I noticed within my family dynamics and then things mm -hmm. that I was noticing around me. There wasn't a lot of people that said, you know what, I need to talk to someone and I'm going through a hard time. You don't even need to go through a hard time to talk to someone. So right. for me, I was just always interested in like psychology and interested in like how family dynamics works, how intergenerational trauma works, how um, your relationship with yourself really affects your relationships with other people and mm. how like things that impact you in your childhood or even like experiences, little traumas that you don't even like process as traumas can also affect you as well. So that's the main reason I wanted to go into um, psychology. Like I took some psych classes while I was in high school and then I went into university. I did my bachelor's in psych and now I'm about to enter my master's for counseling in the fall. So I'm really excited about that. And I really am so passionate about just bringing awareness of mental health to black people and people of color, because yes. even having us in those spaces, representing ourselves, we feel a sense of unity that someone that looks like us can relate to our story and understand our pain, can know what we're going through. It's not like they're um, like a different race and we're trying to explain over and over and mm -hmm. over again what is going on and they just, they're not, isn't, they're not getting it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can, you know, I can really hear the passion in your voice and that makes me so excited for you. Thank you. <laughs> I think you're going to be awesome um, at counseling and, and it's, it's honestly just very empowering to know that there are people that look like us that are so interested in helping people, other people that look like us. Yeah. In my studies, when I say that I want to work with um, minority populations, they sort of like cock their head at me like, well, why, you know, and it's like, um, because I want to help my people. What do you mean? There's so much representation for every other culture, I feel like, but, you know, not enough for us. And like you mentioned, going to therapy, I've gone to therapy off and on for the past few years, and up until a few months ago, all of my therapists were white. And I went through this stage of just honestly feeling anxiety about going to therapy with my, you know, white therapist, because I didn't like, I felt, I felt like I had to wear a mask. I felt yeah. like I couldn't tell her my true story of what was going on because I didn't want her to misinterpret what I was saying for uh, being abused or, you know, neglected or, yeah. um, you know, giving me diagnosis that didn't suit me um, based off the things that she knew or the stuff that she read, you know, in her books. And so I almost had to spend 30 minutes over explaining my situation before I could actually dive into why I came to therapy in the first place. Wow. And so, yeah, it, it was tough. And, and that kept happening. It was a cycle. And then when I met my new doctor, Dr. B, shout out to Dr. B. <laughs> um, 
she automatically got me when I sat down I just felt so comfortable with her and I had said a few things you know just to test the water and she was right there with me picking up on what I was saying and I was like okay this this is good this is what this you know this is supposed to feel like this is a therapeutic relationship that I can keep up and so I'm so excited that you are embarking on this new path and it's so necessary I would just like to encourage all the women who are listening to this podcast to go and find you a therapist that you feel you can relate to, especially if you're paying for it, you should be paying for what you want. And so look into therapy that suits you because the whole purpose behind it is to grow and learn and heal. And you can't do that if you don't feel like you're being understood. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I definitely agree with that. What is something that you can... Uh, give to encourage some people who might be nervous about seeking therapy? I feel like for people who are nervous about seeking therapy, just to understand that it's going to be a place of support and non-judgment for you. Mm -hmm. So it's sometimes great to have a person that is on the outside who knows nothing about you to either reaffirm things that you've been thinking that you're not too sure whether it's normal or not, or just to find some extra support. And you don't need anything wrong with you to go to therapy and therapy isn't a bad thing either. Um, You don't have to be crazy because a lot of that stigma, I feel like Mm -hmm. therapy comes with you don't want people to look at you weird but I do think it's a great thing that like we're now in a time period where especially millennials are so open about things that they're going through whether it's with their family or their friends and they're seeing that you know what maybe I need to be supported but don't expect everyone around you to always be supporting you if you can go out and get that support as well from someone else that's like unbiased, that's not going to judge you, that's not going to be like, you know what, I told you to stop seeing that guy and you're still seeing him, get mm-hmm. you a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Therapy is an unbiased, opinionated friend, if that makes sense. It is. Some kind of way to, to bring it together. So yes, don't be afraid to seek therapy, y'all. Just go and get it started. And I love how you said that you don't have to have anything wrong with you to go to therapy. You can just go because you want to get a checkup or whatever else. So thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. And lastly, 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 you are actually getting ready to start your own podcast. So tell us a little bit about that. And when is the drop date? So I'm getting ready to start a podcast. I have a platform and it's going to be a blog as well. It's called The Soul Care Garden. And my first episode is going to be on May 24th. That's going to be the launch date. So I'm super (laughs) excited about that. It's definitely something that I've been thinking about doing for a few years, but I wasn't sure about how to do it or like if I was ready to do it or if I was qualified enough. And what I meant by that is like, um, Sometimes for me, like I said, being a perfectionist, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, if I do this, do I have to like do I have to wait until I'm a therapist to do this, or like, am I qualified enough to do it now? And then I was just talking to different people about their stories all the time. Like, I tend to be that friend that like if I talk to you, the conversation just gets so deep, and mm-hmm. people are like, you know what, you should just be my <laughs> therapist. So I was like, you know, let me start something for like 
black people and people of color so they feel supported whether that's what they want to come on and share their experiences dealing with mental health or they just want to feel supported with like different topics that they're going through so i want it to be a place where people are able to see these mental health issues and other things that affect us collectively and not have any stigmas or taboos attached to it. Wow, that's going to be an amazing podcast and I cannot wait to listen to it on May 24th. So y'all, this is not the end for Tamika. This is only the beginning. I just see such great things for you. And again, I hear the passion in your voice and that makes me even more excited. So congrats to you, Tamika, on everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. And y'all, I will see you on the next one. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thank you.